So this morning, we are launching an in-depth look at the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church in the city of Ephesus, what we call the book of Ephesians. Now, a letter in the ancient Greek world had a standard form, just as our formal letters do today. They began with a greeting and an introduction. They moved into an introductory paragraph that might be a blessing or prayer of thanksgiving. Then they moved into the body of the letter where all the meat was, finished with perhaps a few more greetings and a benediction of sorts. There are 21 letters in our New Testament. We believe that 13 of those were written by the Apostle Paul, who was also known as Saul, his Hebrew name. Saul, or Paul, originally persecuted the early followers of Jesus, but then he had an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. It was so profound and powerful that it knocked him to the ground. And after that, he became a passionate follower of Jesus. And eventually, he became largely responsible for much of the early church's understanding of themselves, of God, of Christ, of the mission. He did this through his leadership, through planting churches, uh, through his missionary visits to these churches, and of course, through the writing of these letters that we now have. If we were to look into ancient Greek or Latin writings at that time and ask, about those that have survived that time period, uh, about the influence they have had on us today, or continue to have, we would discover that at the top of the list of ancient documents that have influence in society are the New Testament documents, and particularly the letters of the Apostle Paul. While other works from that time period in those languages uh, still are studied today and read today, nothing compares to the influence, uh, to the impact of the the documents of our New Testament, and as I said, in particular, the writings of the Apostle Paul. Paul's 13 letters make up less than 100 pages in our New Testaments, and yet they continue to impact us and to shape us and to change us, even today, 2,000 years later. But letter writing in the ancient world really wasn't anything like letter writing today, to say nothing of writing emails. No, the letters we find in our New Testaments, especially the ones written by the Apostle Paul, were quite the endeavor. We are often used to thinking of Paul, we've been taught to think of Paul, sitting alone in a room somewhere at a desk, writing like this portrait from Rembrandt would show. Turns out, that's not really the case. Paul likely wrote his letters with a team of people, and may have even tested things out on these companions. How does that sound? How does that hit you? Wrestling back and forth with the best way to say things. We know this in part because he often includes some of these people at the beginning of his letters. He will include them as companions, Timothy and Silas, for example. One other thing we know about Paul is sometimes he had to write these letters from prison. He likely wrote this letter, the letter to the Ephesians, from being under house arrest in the city of Rome. Now, if you had to be in prison, house arrest is probably one of the more comfortable ways to do it. He could still have visitors. So, for example, they may as well have come along and helped him to complete the very letter that we're going to read this morning and this fall. Letter writing in that day was like that. It was a bit of an art form, not something to be careless with. This was a primary means of communication across huge distances, after all. So Paul took great care to outline, to shape, to connect themes and key words as he wrote these letters. So, for example... The introductory remarks that Paul would often write in his letters will have key words and themes that will pop, out th- pop up through the rest of, of the letter. 
like any of us would do if we knew we had to write a very important letter, even vital to someone, we would hopefully put more thought into that letter or that email than we would if we just sat down to dash a note off to someone, let alone an angry email. These letters, including Paul's letter to the Ephesians, are dense, organized, thoughtful, and trustworthy. They gave shape to the early church, and they can continue to give shape to us today. In order to get the most out of this study of Ephesians, I invite you to use our Bible app live event. If you have that on your phone or tablet, great. If not, go wherever you get apps and, and download that one right there. Uh, it looks like that. And if you're new to us at ECC, you can simply download that app on your phone or your tablet. Uh, and then once it's installed, you click on the little lines at the bottom right of the phone there that say more. And then you click on events. And if you have your location services turned on, our event will pop right up. If you don't have location services turned on, you can simply search for ECC and we should pop up as well. Not only is that app a great place to stay uh, connected with what's happening at ECC, it is also a place where we put the passage for the week, we put resources for further study, and uh, some questions for thought and discussion. This week you're going to find several links to videos from our friends over at the Bible Project on how to read New Testament letters and in particular how to read the letter to the Ephesians. To begin this study of Ephesians, we'll take us right up to the season of Advent this year. We're going to do something a bit different today. We're going to do something similar to what was likely the case in the ancient church when they received a letter from the Apostle Paul. A courier would bring the letter, and then the courier, when everybody was gathered together, would read the letter in whole to the congregation that was gathered. So we're going to read the whole thing to you this morning. We're going to perform it as a bit of a dramatic reading. So, in case you're new online or in person, this is a great place to introduce some people to you. Pastor Kurt over here is our administrative pastor. Megan is our director of worship and music. Kate is our director of women's ministries and spiritual formation. Chuck is our pastor of young adults, and Kristen is our pastor of families and children. So I want to invite you to listen, and hopefully you won't hear any more of that. All right. I want to invite you simply to listen to this letter. What do you hear? What themes emerge? What questions do you have of the words and, and phrases that you, you heard? How might God already be speaking to you? And then next week, we will begin to dive more deeply into Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I, I, Paul, am under, under God's plan as an apostle, a special agent of Christ Jesus, writing to you faithful Christians in Ephesus. I greet you with grace and peace poured into our lives by God our Father and our Master, Jesus Christ. How blessed. high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. He settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. 
He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we're a free people, free of penalties and punishments chalked up by all our misdeeds, and not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. Everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth. It's in Christ that we find who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us, for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. It's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, the message of your salvation, found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. This signet from God is the first installment of what's coming, a reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us, a praising and glorious life. That's why when I heard of the solid trust you have in the Master Jesus and your outpouring of love to all the Christians, I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I'd think of you and give thanks. But I do more than thank. I ask, ask the God of our Master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally, your eyes focused and clear, so that you can see exactly what it is he is calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for Christians. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments. No name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. See, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin, you let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us are in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, Immense in mercy and incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea, 
and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. But don't take any of this for granted. It was only yesterday that you outsiders to God's ways had no ideas of any of this. Didn't know the first thing about the ways of God. Hadn't the faintest ideas of Christ. You knew nothing of the rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel. Hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. Now, because of Christ dying that death and shedding that blood, you who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. The Messiah has made things up, uh, made things up between us so that we're now together on this both non-Jewish outsider and Jewish insiders. He tore down the wall we used to keep each other at a distance. He repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of the hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals and so made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. The kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He's used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as a cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. That is why I, Paul, am in jail for Christ, having taken up the cause of you outsiders, so-called. I take it that you're familiar with the part I was given in God's plan for including everybody, I got the inside story on this from God himself, I just, as I just wrote you in brief. As you read over what I've written to you, you'll be able to see for yourselves into the mystery of Christ. None of our ancestors understood this. Only in our time has it been made clear by God's Spirit through the holy apostles and prophets of this new order. The mystery is that people who have never heard of God and those who have heard of him all their lives, what I've been calling outsiders and insiders, stand on the same ground before God. They get the same offer, the same help, same promises in Christ Jesus. The message is accessible and welcoming to everyone across the board. 
This is my life work, helping people understand and respond to this message. It came as a sheer gift to me, a real surprise, God handling all the details. When it came to presenting the message to people who had no background in God's way, I was the least qualified of all the available Christians. God saw to it that I was equipped, but you can be sure that it had nothing to do with my natural abilities. And so here I am, preaching and writing about things that are way over my head, the inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. My task is to bring out into the open and make plain what God, who created all of this in the first place, has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. Through Christians like yourselves gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. All this is proceeding along lines planned all along by God and then executed in Christ Jesus. When we trust in him, we're free to say whatever needs to be said, bold to go wherever we need to go. So don't let my present trouble on your behalf get you down. Be proud. My response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all Christians the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives, full in the fullness of God. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. Glory to God in the church. Glory to God in the Messiah, in Jesus. Glory down all the generations. Glory through all millennia. Oh, yes. So in light of all this, Here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not, not in fits and starts, but steadily pursuing or pouring yourself out for each other in acts of love. Alert to noticing the differences and quick the mending fences. You are all called to travel the same road in the same direction. So stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. But that doesn't mean you should all look and speak and act the same. Out of the generosity of Christ, each of us is given his or her own gift. The text for this is, he climbed the high mountain. He captured the enemy and seized the plunder. He handed it all out in gifts to the people. It's true, is it not, that the one who climbed up also climbed down, down to the valley of earth. 
And the one who climbed down is the one who climbed back up, up to the highest heaven. He handed out gifts above and below, filled heaven with his gifts, filled earth with his gifts. He handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor-teacher to train Christians in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive in Christ. No prolonged infancies among us, please. We'll not tolerate babes in the woods, small children who are an easy mark for imposters. God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and tell it in love, like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. And so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. They've refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost not only touch with God, but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore. Feeling no pain, they let themselves go in sexual obsession, addicted to every sort of perversion. But that's no life for you. You learned Christ. My assumption is that you have paid careful attention to him and well instructed in the truth precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with the old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. What this adds up to then is this. No more lies. No more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other after all, when you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. Go ahead, be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Did you used to make ends meet by stealing? Well, no more. Get an honest job so that you can help others who can't work. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps. Each word is a gift. Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. And don't take such a gift for granted. Make a clean break without cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another. Sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Watch what God does and then do it. Like children learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does 
is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but it was extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give us everything of himself. Love like that. Don't allow love to turn into lust. Setting off a downhill slide into sexual promiscuity, filthy practices, or bully and greed. Though some tongues just love the taste of gossip, Christians have better uses for language than that. Don't talk dirty or silly. That kind of talk doesn't fit our style. Thanksgiving is our dialect. You can be sure that using people or religion or things just for what you can get out of them, the usual variations on idolatry, will get you nowhere, and certainly nowhere near the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God. Don't let yourselves be taken in by religious smooth talk. God gets furious with people who are full of religious sales talk but want nothing to do with him. Don't even hang around with people like that. You broke your way through that murk once, but no longer. You're out in the open now. The bright light of Christ makes your way plain. So no more stumbling around. Get on with it. The good, the right, the true. These are the actions appropriate for daylight hours. Figure out what will please Christ, and then do it. Don't waste your time on useless work, mere busy work, the barren pursuits of darkness. Expose these things for the sham they are. It's a scandal when people waste their lives on things they must do in the darkness where no one will see. Rip the cover off those frauds and see how attractive they look in the light of Christ. Wake up from your sleep. Climb out of your coffins. Christ will show you the light. So watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. Don't drink too much wine. That cheapens your life. Drink the Spirit of God, huge drafts of him. Sing hymns. Instead of drinking songs, sing songs from your heart to Christ. Sing praises over everything, any excuse for a song to God the Father in the name of our Master, Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership for his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that's how husbands ought to love their wives. 
they're really doing themselves a favor since they are already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are a part of his body. And this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery, and I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. Children, do what your parents tell you. This is only right. Honor your father and mother is the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. Namely, so you will live well and have a long life. Fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down on, or hard on them. Take them by the hand. Lead them in the way of the master. Servants, respectfully obey your earthly masters, but always with an eye to obeying the real master, Christ. Don't just do what you have to do to get by, but work heartily as Christ's servant, servants doing what God wants you to do. And work with a smile on your face, always keeping in mind that no matter who happens to be giving the orders, you're really serving God. Good work will get you good pay from the master, regardless of whether you are slave or free. Masters, it's the same with you. No abuse, please, and no threats. You and your servants are both under the same master in heaven. He makes no distinction between you and them. And that about wraps it up. God is strong, and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you'll be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing war warfare. Pray long and hard. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Pray for each other's spirit so that no one falls behind or drops out. And don't forget to pray for me. Pray that I'll know what to say and have the courage to say it at the right time. Telling the mystery to one and all that I, the message that I, this jailbird preacher that I am, am responsible for getting out. Tychicus, my good friend, here, he'll tell you all that I'm doing and how things are going with, with me. He's certainly a dependable servant of the master. I've sent him not only to tell you about us, but to, to cheer you on in your faith. Goodbye, Goodbye friends. friends. 
Love mixed with faith be yours from God the Father and from the Master, Jesus Christ. Pure grace and nothing but grace be with all who love our Master, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? God, we thank you so much this morning for your word from Ephesians, from your word in general. God, we thank you for the ways in which you've delivered us your word so that we may be formed by it, shaped by it, and live by it. Thank you for its honesty and its truth. Thank you for its wisdom. God, we pray that as we engage in this book this, in these coming weeks, God, you will speak to our hearts. You will call us out in ways we need to be called out. You will challenge us. You will inspire us. Help us to live by these words, God. As the many generations before us have been molded from it, may we be molded from it so that we may more fully be your people, may be more fully what you designed us to be from the beginning, your beloved human creation. So we give you this word, we give you this time, and we thank you for it. We pray all this this morning in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.